Hello and welcome back to the Floorcast. Forecast, Floorcast, see what we did there. We are a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app and we hope people have been enjoying the content that we've been creating so far. Some have been calling us the number one NFT podcast out there. So, you know, some great reviews. As always, I'm joined by at least one C. So first of all, uh, Corwin, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Pat. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I hope we'll have less weather chat in this episode and more NFT chat. Try not to bring it up. We got that all. We got all that all that out the out the way, didn't we, before the recording? Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, I'm also joined by the returning Curtis. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I was going to tell you what temperature it is, but I guess we're not a weather <laughs> podcast anymore, so I will refrain from doing that. <laughs> yeah, let, let's try our best to refrain from that. I mean lots to talk about from from an nft perspective i think there's so much going on every single week i think the market's taking a bit of a i, I guess this feels like a little bit of a prolonged washout to some extent not in like a everything's dying but like it felt like it was getting a bit overheated again and it, it still does feel like that as well so it maybe feels like we have a little bit uh, room to go downwards on on certain projects but i think there's some really interesting things happening still and um yeah i guess we're obviously going to get uh, stuck into them before we do get into that curtis do you want to do a little creeps corner i guess there's so many people always wanted to hear your wise words about uh creeps uh from the creeps community and the floors community so i'll let you take away on that if you've got a couple minutes yeah i'll keep it short because not a whole lot has changed um Floor has stabilized, I think, around three-ish ETH, which is great. Lumi is still like a cent or sub-cent, and we're still pretty inflationary in terms of tokenomics. So we've got season two and season three announcements coming this week, we hope. And there's also a couple drops coming up that should be mintable only in Lumi. So that should start burning a lot of in-game Lumi, get us back to maybe becoming deflationary. Um, still super bullish on it, holding what I've got. Uh, nothing has really changed in terms of the game. It's just the the kind of the ERC twenty side of things has kind of tanked a little bit, which has scared off a whole lot of people who came in kind of in the hype cycle where people were saying they're going to quit their jobs and retire to play creeps. Um, so that's usually the top, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, now they're just in it to play. Well, that's the local top. I still think like long term they've got a really great team. They've got really big plans. Uh, but yeah, it, we kind of went through this churn over the last couple of weeks where there's the floor price kind of dropped, Lumi dropped, a lot, uh, lot of creeps changing hands. But yeah, I think we're still in a really good spot. Awesome. Well, suddenly two C's have turned to three. Uh, Chris Madden is a late arrival. Uh, we've gotten all the weather chat out of the way, Chris, by the way, before you, you kind of get in there. So just, just to give you a heads up there. Damn it. Because it's really cold here today. Oh, like, really? Really, really cold. You missed, you missed the best bit of the podcast. Yeah, Curtis has, has got some sort of like auto dashboard now where we can all tell what the weather is in, in each other's regions now, which is pretty cool. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll be using that going forward. <laughs> I don't think I've had a conversation that didn't end with Curtis building a web app. The man ships, what can you do? Um, Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Apologies for joining you a little late. Uh, it's actually a recurring conflict for me, so... <laughs> might need to push it back a little oh man fair enough well look we, we uh, are going a bit off piece there chris i was saying that i've not got the notes in front of me so the intro was terrible that you know introducing the co-host was terrible everything's terrible so far Corwin, i'm going to put you on the spot what what is the thing that you're bringing to the table 
today. Let's talk Super Bowl, Pat. Ooh, oh, wait, okay. am I allowed to say that word? Let's talk. The, sorry, sorry. We got to cut that out. Let's talk the big game. <laughs> I'm very interested. Well, I guess we can say it, right? Um, I didn't see any NFTs. No, not too many. Uh, actually, I did see one. I, I, I think you see now, Nouns Dow, right? But like kind of like showed off. In like half a second. Half a second. I think they just showed the glasses. Very interesting because a lot, a lot of people were speculating that there's going to be, this was going to be like an NFT bowl type thing. So. Super interesting not to see any except that one. Uh, I love the Coinbase commercial as well. I think it did amazing compared to like their app store. Like they're number two on the app store right now. It's like from, I think they went from like 136 to number two. 184 to number two, which is crazy. In the matter of like a couple hours. 20 million hits. Um, I think they spent $14 million on the ad space. So you're looking at like 70 cents per web visit. And then... If they're new users, they get $15 worth of Bitcoin and then they're doing like a $3 million giveaway, aren't they? So, you know, all in all, a a pretty good investment from them. And it kind of feels that like they're trying to just onboard as many people as possible before the inevitable launch of Coinbase NFT as well, because that's probably where they view more and more of the retail market heading, right? Like they have probably, you know, 50 plus million people buying crypto on their platform. But, you know, that's that's where they wanted it to, to funnel eventually, I think, because the retail market are, are more glued to, to JPEGs than they are tokens, right? So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite cool to see. But yeah, expecting more NFTs, no, you know, especially if you consider Snoop performed right and he's like heavily involved in a variety of NFT projects. Um uh fluff and loads of others and you know sandbox etc like you would have thought something was kind of up and bubbling but maybe it's a bit too you know still not as mainstream as we'd hope right a a bunch of football players have their profile pictures as nfts same with um eminem too i believe has like a board apis's profile picture so definitely interesting not even to see like some sort of like easter egg somewhere or maybe in one of the paintings or something i i it kind of makes me think that the nfl was just like all right we're not doing nfts this year guys like it was a bit odd to me but the nfl are doing nfts soon right oh they they did their ticket Someone said that they did like a ticketing system, right? So yeah, they did. They gave NFTs with tickets, right? If you're at the game. There's a big difference between doing NFTs and wanting NFTs that aren't your NFTs getting airtime Mm. at your like biggest game. My guess is the lack of anything does probably lead to the NFL were like, uh, no, thank you guys. Just snuck in a pair of a pair of nouns glasses there, right? Um, that's the only thing that they could get away with. Um, Curtis, any takes on the uh, championship egg ball game? Yeah, we get really bad Super Bowl commercials, uh, so I had to watch them after the fact. Um, yeah, I I was expecting to have a couple Easter eggs, like you guys, maybe like someone wearing a pin or like just something. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty quiet on the NFT front. Um, What's interesting with the Coinbase one, did you guys actually scan the QR code and get into the website before it crashed? Or Because I, I saw a, a interesting tinfoil hat uh, theory, which is what if they wanted that site to always be down? So so you, you, you say there's like, because a bunch of the commercials in there around crypto were all about FOMO, like the Larry David one and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, what if you were meant to scan the QR code and get to a site that said, hey, we're over capacity. And then you're like, oh crap, there's a lot of people visiting this thing right now, like this new crypto thing that you keep badgering me with. So just a little tinfoil hat uh, theory I I had. It'd be really cheap for them not to scale the server and just let it go down. (laughs) 
I, I did I did definitely find it interesting because there was also a timer at the top of the page. Like a 45 minute timer, you have to like claim this. I'm not sure if you guys' page had that either, but I think in the fine print it says you have three days to sign up. So definitely interesting. Oh, that's a little dark matter. 20 million hits is crazy though. Like if it's legit, that's that's a lot, right? The the Larry David commercial was amazing though. I mean, it's not like NFT specific, but I just thought that was so good. Um that satirical spin if, if anyone's not seen it it's like you know they take him back through civilization's most important inventions from the wheel up until you know uh, portable music and he's just like basically shitting on all of them and then at the end it's like you know what about ftx and he he's like oh you you know not too sure about that i'm always right on this kind of thing and it was really funny so um yeah i really enjoyed that one probably more so than the flowing qr code not gonna lie to you um Right, let's move over to How long was the floating QR code on screen? I would I want to say like a good yeah, like a good 30 40 seconds. They they give people enough time. <laughs> they they give a lot of the older people watching Chris enough time to pull out their phone and scan it. When uh, when PayPal first bought Venmo, at the time we had this advertising campaign out in the wild called Lucas uses Venmo and it was like a New York City subway takeover and a bunch of digital ads that were just a picture of a guy who happened to work on the team called lucas and the tagline lucas uses senmo and it, it went super duper viral and so right after paypal bought us and gave us some marketing budget for the first time we started looking into buying a, a subway a super roll ad that was just going to be lucas eating a bag of potato chips and then him turning to the camera and it's saying lucas uses venmo and then we realized how expensive Super Bowl ads were, and so we didn't do it. But yeah. that, that that gets me thinking on like all these ads, like an avocado ad I got, and I'm like, how much are these companies making that they could just like throw up all these two minute ads or thirty second ads? Avocados are expensive, man. They got to use that. You could use that money somewhere, right? I mean, yeah, Coinbase paid fourteen million dollars for that thirty forty second uh ad so 14 million yeah 14 million and and they're giving everyone 15 15 dollars to new users so how much more yeah. money is that too well it depends how many signups they got but you know let's say maybe about seven or eight million dollars more and then they're doing a three million dollar giveaway so they're probably spending about 25 30 million dollars but in terms of like they've basically paid 70 cents per per person to go to their website if the stats are true which is i don't know it's a bargain is, is that expensive? Probably cheap, right? It's a bargain if you're uh, if you're Coinbase. That's a good. That's good. Yeah. Um, and then look, like I don't know how much their this uh, customer acquisition price is usually, but if they can do it for fifteen dollars a pop, that's probably quite cheap as well. Again, I'm not a marketing budget expert, so uh, don't quote me on any of that. Anyway, Curtis, let's move over to you, sir. Um, what is it that you want to talk about today? Yeah, it's something. It's it's actually being announced and being out there for a while, but it's it's around a new project that uh, is minting soon called Starcatchers. And the thing that caught my eye about this is that the founders are, I can't remember if they're doxxed or not. I, I think they're a mix, but the interesting thing they've done is they've taken kind of a Web2 concept of vesting on uh, investment. Um, so when you join a startup, you don't get all your stock right away. You have to be there for a year and you get 25% of it. And then usually the rest of it vests over a period of three more years. They've done that with their treasury, basically. So uh, what's going to happen is the proceeds from their mint, 60% is going to go into their community treasury. 35% of it, though, is going to be locked into a time-locked contract that doesn't pay them until one year has elapsed. And then they get uh, the rest 
withdrawn over the next three years. That's genius. 5% of it will be paid to them immediately. So the, the reason I like this was uh, we've talked a couple times about how like really, unless a team is fully doxxed, it's really hard to figure out like what they've done before and whether something's gonna be a rug. But this is an interesting way to potentially let a team remain undoxed, but then say, hey, we're here, like we can't possibly take out the funds. So it's far less likely for us to be a rug. Also, we can stay doxxed or we can stay undoxed and, um, and kind of impart a little bit of confidence that they're not gonna just run away like uh, some of the projects have recently. That is so cool. Um, I'm constantly fascinated by how to do this better on both sides. So, you know, on the project creator side, you know, how can you lock up funds, create kind of, you know, with ETH, with NFTs, we're talking about programmable money. And we don't really take advantage of the programmable money part of this very often to build better kind of shared incentives. And this is a great example of someone doing that. You know, you can imagine it on the creator side like that. You can imagine it on the buyer side, like, you can pay more to have less of a lockup or pay less and have a higher lockup. And you can actually like build better shared incentives. And that could even potentially change the earnout on the money on the other side so that, you know, the lockup period for the buyer always ends before the seller. And like you can imagine kind of a whole different, uh, more complex, but much more protective, frankly, to both sides um, model of, um, moving the money around behind them. That's super cool. So we've gone so Web3 that we've gone Web2. It's pretty cool. Um, now, I, I genuinely think like we've talked about this before on the show that there is some misalignment with a lot of NFT projects in the sense that like founders can work a lot, right? For like a certain, you know, maybe two, three months or whatever. And then they are obviously due their due in, in the sense of uh, monetary returns returns but like the issue becomes what is the big driver to continue making that project big because like if the floor doesn't hold and your only source of income after that is secondary sales it's you know it's very difficult to continue like motivating people paying people from a cash flow perspective and then your like issue is you need to get the floor higher for people to then you know trade those nfts so you get more cash flow and you can pay people to, to kind of continue making the project good and i think there's yeah, there's a there's not an amazing alignment there from a lot of projects in the kind of way they think about doing this. So yeah, I mean, they're obviously like one of the big projects coming up. But I think of all the like big, really hype projects, they feel like the most grounded, solid ones. Um, and I'm not ashamed that just because Floor got a few um, mintless spots. But I I do genuinely think like from kind of the bare bones outside in research that i've done it looks like they have thought about that a lot and they've thought about the optics of you know selling out ten thousand nfts at a whatever um mint price and then having like a big floor and um they, they probably want to make sure that the people that are buying them know that that, that team is there for the long haul so super interested to see what they're going to do the the one interesting thing that um i think this highlights is uh, you mentioned pet like we're, we're so web through web two again I think there's there's a pendulum that swing. Um, like a couple months ago, everything had to be a DAO, and you couldn't have any sort of hierarchy or anyone <laughs> calling the shots. So that kind of swung one way, like into the extreme. And now I think people are, it's starting to come back a little bit. Which is like, okay, you know what? Maybe it makes sense to have like a couple people uh, calling the shots a little bit. Um, and then this 
everyone is doubled down on the fact that like everything's got to be, it's programmable money, but we haven't really done that much with it. But the Web2 ideas that we've we've kind of refined over the last like 20 or 10, 10-ish years, they're not necessarily bad ideas. We can bring some of those over. So something like a vesting contract that is, is strictly like a startup thing might make sense. Um, it doesn't have to be all like it doesn't something doesn't have to be entirely web through or entirely decentralized to to kind of fit we can bring some of the good ideas over um and not just be a skeuomorphic kind of thing it's can be like let's let's bring it over at first then innovate on it and make it like its best version of itself with the tech we've now have i think that's a really interesting way of framing it and i, I agree with your uh, message curtis i think the i think what is web3 is kind of inherent in the definition of whether this is like bringing web2 or bringing web3 and I think to me, at least the way I would define it is Web3 is where we use this new set of tools for us in order to create participation with our users instead of having the users be the product, which is kind of the prevailing business model of Web2. And so, you know, building and maturing in the Web3 environment where our users are participatory and the community is part of the product and the movement isn't making it more Web2. I, I think that that fundamental you know, inclusion, participation of the user in the value equation is is what makes it Web3. I think it's just a, mature, a maturity thing. It's we're learning to build better models. We're learning to use these new tools we have better to build more aligned incentives, to build protections, both for end users and for project creators. This stuff's super important. Like the goal of the new technology was not forget everything we've learned. It was go and build better things um, with everything we now know and this new set of tools and this new inclusive model. And we seem to kind of forget everything we'd learned in the first set of things. And now we're going, oh, no, actually, we do know a little bit about, you know, how to protect people from, you know, complete rugs through uh, fundraising and things like that and trying to apply those. So I, I'm, I, I'm really excited you brought this topic. Uh, I think this is so cool and so important. Does my definition of Web3 kind of thrown out there align with how you guys see it in your head, by the way? I've never talked about this really with anyone. Uh, I didn't hear half of that because I was stood up. But um, like, I think the participatory side of things, from a Web3 perspective, I think it's very difficult to like put your hat on what exactly Web3 is. But I think there is like a few themes that are emerging. And one is like community ownership. Um, one is like transparency. Um, one is like, you know, on chain, uh, on whether it be on chain governance, treasury, etc. And I think like when you put all those themes together, you get like what Web3 is. And I think there are, as you said, like a lot of things that we can think about that have been it's funny actually i was on a podcast today and someone was talking about like yeah web 2 has failed publishers and content creators and i was like maybe right now but like google who own youtube youtube's last year earnings showed that like a third of their ad revenue went to creators and now that's not ideal but that's that's pretty good and though some of those big creators have uh, made a lot of money with other endorsements made a lot of money like basically creating a business off the back of um off the back of this i think that um there are things that we can learn from and extrapolate from web 2 in order to make whatever this new thing is a lot better that's that's really interesting this isn't normally the voice i play uh, i'm not i'm not kind of a decentralization wonk but you know another way of what you just said saying what you just said is your know, creators got 30 percent of youtube's revenue 
YouTube took 70% of creators' like potential upside without any marginal cost on the content, without having to speculate on creating the content, without having to bring the IP. And I think that's the norm that we're kind of trying to fight in Web3, which is you start from a position of you own and you can distribute and you can kind of take the, the lion's share of that. Where the Web2 model was, maybe if a group of people gets enough leverage, they'll be able to convince the gods that be to give them a little bit more of the juice that they think the company owns and they give to you out of the kindness of their hearts. That's just like a fundamental difference in what I hope becomes the emergent models of Web3 versus Web2. Any final thoughts, Corwin, Curtis, before we move on? Just want to say I agree with, I, I think a majority of us agree with your vision of Web3, Chris, you're, the way you're building your product and the way you build up the community for Floor. I think don't think a lot of us would be here if we didn't agree with uh, the way you built it. Oh, thanks. I wasn't looking for a, for a personal compliment, but I'll take it. My, I, I won't, won't uh, pump up uh, Chris's head too much more, but uh, I, I, I also agree. Uh, one fantastic podcast that really dives into this really well is the uh, the Bankless podcast with Chris Dixon, where he goes over the five mental models. And this is part of it is the participatory part where, and he also talks about take rates and how the higher your take rate is in Web2, the more vulnerable that's going to be to incumbents. Uh, so um, I think we're probably on the cusp of seeing music get kind of flipped on its head by Web3 because the Web2 model is just so broken. Um, yeah, but it, it's definitely like participatory ownership back to the community, very low take rates. Um, there's that actual product, not you aren't the product. It's like there's a community, there's maybe an economy depending on what, what the aspect is. But yeah, it's very, very exciting. Um, but I, I definitely recommend you, if you don't listen to anything else in Bankless, which is a, a fantastic podcast, uh, you listen to the Chris Dixon one because it's it's really great summation of like the five big themes uh, in Web3. I think just to add to all of that, I think if I had to summarize what we've been talking about a little bit now, and again, we've gone off piece a little bit, but Web3 has been built off up until this point, I think looking at what Web2 has done wrong and basically trying to subvert a lot of those models um (laughs) a a lot of those models and um yeah i i think now there might be a bit more of a pragmatic approach to what we see a lot of builders do over the next like 12 to 18 months where they actually say well actually that was a decent idea like what about this model that already exists but like you know uh, you know innovated on a little bit etc so um sorry i just saw corwin basically spamming the chat saying that the curtis and him have both rugged my topic which is definitely true we hadn't uh, assigned who got what topic but uh chris i'm going to put your you in a corner my friend what are you going to talk about this episode i'm actually going to ask you guys some questions and um, it's a open invitation to uh, everyone who's listening to let us know as well. It's something we're thinking a lot about in product development right now. Uh, it's something that touches a lot of the topics that we've talked about today, uh, including kind of rugs and you know in- innovative ways of aligning things. We want to talk about minting and you know how you find things to mint, how you figure out how you mint them, uh, how you remember what you're actually supposed to go and mint, how you get access to those mints, how you diligence which mints you're actually going to participate in, whether they're safe, whether they're, you know, rugs, whether they're like literally going to try and empty your wallet. It's just 
I, I was never a big minter. Uh, up until probably a few months ago, I had mostly just bought on secondary and I'd been part of a couple mints that were kind of super front of mind or very well known, or I, I knew someone involved in them or stuff like that. But I'd mostly just been like, okay, something's moving on OpenSea. I'll go buy it and hold it for some period of time and then sell it later. And you know, partially through Floor and getting to know some of the community and you know, building some of the partnerships where we offer folks mint list, um, you know, some of the bigger partnerships, where obviously if you're in from the ground floor, particularly if you're in from the ground floor and you take a sizable position, that can be a really, really great outcome. It's also a fun uh, time to get involved in communities. Um, being involved pre-mint and kind of the excitement as the art starts coming out, that's a really fun uh, and pure process. But minting's gotten, you know, as projects of 10x, like I think there's probably 10x projects right now as there were like two months ago. And there's also a bunch more people in the community uh, who are trying to pursue these mint lists. And we've gotten to this really weird space where constantly being asked to grind in discords or go and share things. And, and so I'm just interested from you guys, and we're trying to build some features into the app right now around this. How do you find out what to mint? And no one's answer can be in the floor discord, because that's the bit that we know. Um, and then how do you choose what you pursue? Like, what's your personal level of willingness to grind or whatever? And then how do you figure out what you actually go and press the buy button on and spend your ETH on? Like, how does that work for you? Curtis, you seem like a th thoughtful man. I'm the newest person in this space, so you're, I feel like I'm getting, uh, I'll have the least informed answer. Uh, it's basically anything shiny our floor says is is good. Um, but yeah, there's, I, I do a little bit, as much due diligence as I can on some of these um, red flags for me or things that I just don't want to get involved in is like intense discord grinding. So if I join a discord and I've got to get level 25, which is an insane amount of grinding, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm okay with a little bit, like I, I know why they're doing it. I understand that you want people that are engaged and I'm totally fine being in a community that I really believe in and engaging, but forcing someone to get to like an insane level on discord like level 25 is a lot i don't even think i'm in i might have reached level 25 in one discord that i'm always in like so so to do that for individual projects is just unattainable it becomes a full-time job so um yeah i usually stay away from those anything with a crazy high mint price nowadays is kind of a red flag because there's just been so many examples of those that have just not turned out to be good projects um so dutch auction starting over half an eth or even the mint price being super high is, is kind of a, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll see what happens on secondary in those. Um, but yeah, I mean, once there's a contract available, I'll, I'll do a, like technical deep dives to make sure there's nothing that can rug me that way. But yeah, it's kind of, kind of, it's, it's like network effects right now. It's like who, what's floor talking about? What's shiny talking about? Um, do people think these are good projects or not? And that is kind of like half of my, uh, my gauge. Pretty much the same way as Curtis. I, I mean, first thing I do is check Chris's wallet, see what he's minting. And if he mints it, then I usually go all in. <laughs> just kidding. But I usually just find out from like Twitter, friends, discords. And I I will I refuse to grind discords anymore. I did it like one time like four or five months ago, and I refuse to do it anymore because I realize a lot of those discords where they require you to grind are usually the projects that are gonna dump the hardest that I've seen in my experience. And then when it comes to minting, like let's say I have an allow list spot from 
whatever from, I don't know, winning a Twitter giveaway or floor or anything. And I'm not super interested in the project, but maybe I want to go in to flip it because usually I have like two paths. Do I want to flip a project or do I want to keep it because I really like the community and or not the community, but I really, well, yeah, that's also a thing. But I really like what they're doing, what their project's doing. I Then I look at volume. So I won't mint it specifically until there's like, until I see that things are actually trading. For example, there was a mint the other day that I, that I had an allow list for that I wanted to get in on. And when, when they were minting out, there was like no volume for like three hours. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to mint this because I knew I had like 48 hours to mint it. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much my method. I don't really have any strict science. I have a few friends that have like kind of NFT bloodhound noses that I speak to quite often. And they're kind of like my go-tos, like a few Twitter chats, a few Discord groups, etc. And I think one of the things that I pay a lot of attention to is who's like making these things, the founders. Like I think um, even if I see that like the, the project's not as amazing as other like more hyped ones or their marketing's not like on point, like I know that if the founding team are kind of there to stay to some extent, it has it has more of a chance. I think there's a good example of one called a crocpolips, which I think Curtis and I were talking about off air that didn't mint out straight away. Like um, there's some sort of utility behind the token. I don't know what it is specifically yet. I think it does some of those things that that Chris was talking about in terms of like calendar alerts and stuff, uh, and they look quite cool. It's made by the guy who made paperhands.gg and you know like that's someone who ships and i think if i look at kind of like why i bought uh floor tokens it was because i knew chris was good at building stuff and i i'd met him like i knew he wasn't gonna run away with my money and like i thought it had legs and i think if the team is strong a lot can flow from there like i've spoken to you know quite a few people from shiny that are like starting their own projects and the one thing you know that if there's a good team they're going to be receptive to like good suggestions and go and implement those things so i think like team for me specifically is like one of the the biggest factors that i look at personally and and yeah like i mean obviously there's the kind of flip or keep route um ideally you want to like mint a few flip one to cover costs and then free ride the rest but I think for me, like I look at, especially in a market which is getting really saturated now, team is like probably the strongest thing for me. I was about to say those days are coming to the end to where you could flip flip one to cover your costs. Which only, is, only, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Which is kind of surprising because as you think, you know, the number of mints is increasing, but also the number of people in the space is massively increasing. You would expect with more savvy buyers there would at least be more interest post-mint. And although I guess the average mint is becoming larger and the average mint is also becoming more expensive, which, you know, at 0.06, it's pretty easy to like flip one for double or even triple. At 0.25, you know, the triple is actually becomes pretty expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way Pet uh, lays that out because it, it's very like Web2 VC-like. <laughs> it's, it's the way vcs talk about how they invest in teams versus like metrics are okay you do a little bit of of like vanity stuff you're like okay yeah it's it's legit but mostly you're investing in a team at that point and aren't we all kind of doing in basically the equivalent of vc investing where we're we're investing in these teams and hoping that they can give us a decent return or some sort of utility or something chris to flip it on you though because my topic was going to be um the latest exclusive uh floor mint because um you know, everyone else stole my topic. So there we have it. But like, 
Shadow Quest is something that I have very little knowledge about. Uh, yeah, I need to do some due diligence, but Curtis was kind of giving us a little bit of the down low pre-podcast, but that's an NFT project that obviously Flora have secured like uh, an exclusive mint with, uh, announced on Twitter recently and within Discord. But like, you obviously go through a lot of due diligence when you're trying to do those because that's like almost an endorsement to this project being good because you're giving them access to like a, a big audience of NFT collectors uh, and traders. Like what's, I mean, flipping on its head, what's your, what's your process there? Yeah. So my process for personal minting and my process for, uh, you know, bringing something like Shadow Quest floor is, is very different. Uh, my process for personal minting is you're minting that. Okay, cool. Let's go. Uh, what did I just buy? And, you know, it doesn't always end up particularly well, but, you know, I, I tend to try and spend all of my time, you know, focused on building, not focused on minting. Um, I've decided that, you know, the majority of the value I want to build in the space, you know, both for myself and for the community is in building products and not, you know, investing and flipping. And, and so my time is typically spent correspondingly. But, you know, you're in these communities and everyone's like 15 people are minting this. And I'm like, okay, cool, great. I'll max mint that. What is this project? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Do I need to stake it? Like, what's happening? For something like Shadow Quest, these are, yeah, this takes quite a lot of time um, because, you know, while it's not technically an endorsement, like, you know, do your own research and all that, but you know, we know that people do trust us and, you know, will, whatever we say, probably put a lot of uh, faith in the fact that, you know, we've done some diligence and brought it to the community. So for Shadow Quest, we've been talking to these folks for probably three weeks. And, you know, we start by just being interested in the project. Like we're not going to do diligence on something that we don't, from the outside view, think this looks like a really interesting, cool, like, thing that has potential and you know for any partnership beyond just people who show up and say hey there's some mint this like if you want to give it out you know we try to limit it to things that we'd be interested in putting our money in ourselves so for shadow quest we've been chatting with them for about three weeks we've probably spent like 10 hours on video calls with them talking about everything from you know the technology making sure that uh, everything works making sure that they have a capacity plan for launch day making sure that the roadmap post launch day looks credible and that you know things are going to actually keep happening afterwards um you know interestingly this was never something i i aimed to do we've you know through a mixture of mints and particularly in kind of work driving along with the creeps team almost like now act as consultants for some of these projects. I'm like, hey, here's how we think you should go about this to try and make sure that like it works. And so Shadow Quest, I think it's an interesting example. I would kind of describe them as great technologists, great storytellers, great art, probably not super, super savvy, like NFT launch marketers. And that was actually kind of my favorite thing. And we found creeps in almost a very similar position where they were very far down the roadmap. They built a lot. They had like six months of roadmap ready to go. And they're like, should we like tell someone about this thing? It's like, well, yeah, you're probably going to need to tell someone about the thing at some point. And so we built kind of the gradual progression of, um, you know, the first 2000 Florex creeps then the additional invasion passes and kind of that uh, launch rollout. And so, you know, coach Shadow Quest on maybe we should, you know, simplify a little. I don't think we need the launch passes because uh, that definitely had some pros and cons, but let's take a small percentage of supply, let's gauge interest, let's do a pre-mint, and we can like phase out the rest of the supply. Because I'm actually quite confident 
in the fundamentals of the project. Like, I think the game's really cool. I think the art's really cool. Uh, I do really like how involved the game can be. And this idea of like building leadership in different countries and, you know, none of that goes to say that it's definitely going to be successful. It could still be a massive flop, but I think it's really well thought through and I think it'll be fun um, when you get into it. And so want to kind of make sure that we, this is the interesting, you know, risk and something that constantly weighs on me and literally sometimes keeps me up at night. Every partnership like this has the opportunity of being a massive value creator for the community or securing the community as a large bag holder. And, you know, we really want to try and avoid the latter. And so the consultancy piece is kind of trying to make sure that we shape things in the way that, you know, we can get a big allocation because, you know, we're getting to be a bigger community. When we were 500 people, we only needed 100 mint list spots, 200 mint list spots, and most people could could kind of come and be involved. And, you know, we wouldn't be a huge portion of the general ownership. Now with, you know, 3,000 um, Discord members, like 2,000 active holders, you know, we need a pretty big chunk to be able to say, hey, most people who want to be involved in this can get involved. And you start talking about 20% of supply, 30% of supply. That comes with this interesting double-edged sword where we can actually guarantee the success of a um, of like a pre-mint for 20 or 30% of supply, but we don't yet have the reach to guarantee the success of 100% of supply. And so we need to make sure that we're lining everything up behind making sure that we get some initial traction, but that then we can set them up for general success and we're somewhere along the journey, and we're not quite there yet, of being able to, where we see projects that we really love, just make them successful through our reach. We don't yet have that reach. I think in time, we actually may have that reach, particularly as we kind of build um, a consumer product that has, you know, in time, hopefully hundreds of thousands and then millions of users, you'll be able to say, you know, this feels safe and good, and there's a plan, and, you know, build a team of people who go and diligence these projects, um, in order to kind of put them into some kind of curated, um, recommended projects area. I think I probably answered your question somewhere in there. Um, but needless to say, a lot of thought goes into this stuff. Um, you know, we encourage everyone, obviously, to do their own research and only invest what they're comfortable. But, you know, we really do try and make sure that these, the projects that we kind of bring in this way are, to the greatest extent we can, not obvious rugs that are going to, you know, try and steal everyone's money but you never know what's going to resonate in the market it's, it's a weird world out there it is it is indeed no i thought that was really good i think um that kind of point about having this consumer facing platform that can actually help projects succeed as much as like there is going to be i think it's asymmetric to some extent um in terms of it depending on where the project is right like that's some projects won't gain as much value from a floor partnerships as vice versa but at some point that symmetry will, will skew more and more towards floor as there are more people using it more people in the community and it's like a fully fledged community consumer facing product so um yeah looking looking forward to those days but i mean curtis just so you can are you going to say something chris i had a closing question on the topic go on which if we're moving on can i ask no no please do so you know, given all this stuff that we just talked about at Mints, if we could add one minting-related feature to the floor app, what would it be for you? Calendar. 
I, I think I think like calendar alerts for mints. Like I've currently like I mean my process is I've got a folder on Discord of things that I have a access list spot to, and surely there's got to be a better way. I agree with Pat. I think calendar would be great. There's just a calendar tab. I even even if I was able to add mints that you guys weren't aware of to it as well because sometimes i forget (laughs) i have it on my calendar on my phone but if it doesn't pop up i'll be like damn i missed that mint last week especially like really important ones so like notifications with the calendar would be amazing mine's mine's more uh magic wand type which would be part what you touched on chris which was like if there's a team that actually did like some basic diligence to make sure like okay these are not obvious rugs these aren't um these aren't the same team that rubbed like six other projects, for example. Uh, but also getting maybe more to the social aspects, it'd be very interesting to have like different communities be able to basically crowdsource alpha. So it's like, here's Starcatchers is minting. What's the kind of sentiment across floor versus what's the sentiment across shiny versus maybe other communities I'm in? Like, and people can either upvote or downvote, like some, some sort of mechanism where I can see without having to talk to people, um, or talk to everyone, I can kind of see like, oh, you know what? 90% of Shiny is saying that this is a good project that they're going to mint. That gives me a pretty good signal that this is probably something I want to get involved in. Check your phone. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. I To the moon. Are we allowed? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Are we this allowed is... to share alpha, Chris? Or... <laughs> this, this, is, this is where we leak alpha. This is main main purpose of the podcast it is amazing how on topic of everything we just talked about one screenshot is yeah so i just looked at the screenshot and it is it is essentially what we just it's a combination of all three of our idea um, this is, is amazing. absolutely amazing i'm real some real coming soon difficult to explain via audio without visuals but i'm sure we'll be seeing some tweets and stuff from the uh floor nft twitter account and from floorcast so so definitely follow both those um i'm conscious of time curtis i just want to round up because my topic to the table was um obviously shadow quest and i have no idea about it so i've asked chris questions now i ask i want to ask you about the actual project in itself um what can you tell listeners about shadow quest i will i will try to keep this brief but this is I, like if chris keeps bringing all these pte games into the floors partnerships i'm i'm gonna have to like go full-time into p2e playing because the way my brain works i just love these sorts of games i love absorbing the white papers so obviously i've gone over this a couple times but it's um it's a p2e game much like creeps was uh you've got five different nations there's some base lore that the project creators have created and now one really interesting thing is they've most of the extra lore that they've laid on top and layered through is actually community sourced. So the community is actually writing. So if you're like big into D and D or you really love like uh, world building, you can go in there, maybe not take part in the NFT game so much, but just like create amazing lore, amazing characters, amazing stories. And the project is actually weaving those into the actual like official narrative of the game, which is kind of cool. Um, but then back on the P2E side, uh, there's five different nations that are all fighting against kind of one, um, incumbent who's the Samsar um, and it's a staking game kind of taking some elements from Wolf game where you're staking your warriors in a battlefield they earn um, in-game token called honor and they can either flee the battlefield and drop 15% of their honor or they can fight and they have a chance of doubling the amount of yield they had or losing it all and it's all based on the stats of your warriors and the p- person you're fighting against when you leave the battlefield is this new Samsar um, 10% of the mint is this Samsar 
uh, nation, like this new incumbent. And so when those are staked, they're actually taking parts of the, the bribe, or not bribe, but parts of the 15% was dropped or the amount that was won. So you might ask, like, why would I ever fight if I could just guarantee I'm going to get 85% of my yield? And that's because there's going to be a whole leadership or leaderboard element to this and some social dueling stuff. So the top person in the leaderboard every week is going to get a pretty sizable bounty of honor tokens. And so that kind of flips the calculus on its head a little bit, because if you're just doing kind of like expected value, say, why would I ever do a double or nothing bet? But then if I do win a couple fights and I get on a leaderboard and it kind of covers my losses, um, yeah, it changes things a little bit. The tokenomics are a lot different than creeps, so I'm interested to see how this all plays out. But yeah, it just looks like a, a, another really cool P2E game that has a really ambitious roadmap. And like creeps, it sounds like um, they're just going to deliver like rapid fire, like Blitzkrieg style uh, right after Mint happens. So uh, I'm pretty excited when a project can do that. Sounds very cool. If Curtis is this excited about another game, I'm max minting, not financial advice, do your own research. <laughs> Just great advice. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I love hearing Curtis talk about PT games. It's great. Um, I'm afraid got to wrap up Vervo, uh, 48 minutes in, a late Chris arrival, lots of valuable insights from everyone, as always. Less weather talk, which was some feedback we got from the last episode. Corwin, where can people find out more about you? You can find me in the floor, Discord, or Twitter, 0xCorwin. Awesome. Uh, Curtis? I am Curtis J. Cummings all across Discord, mostly in floor and shiny, and also on Twitter. And Chris? Uh, at Chris Madden on Twitter or at FloorNFTs. Amazing. You can find us at the Floorcast on Twitter, and you can find me at Pet Berisha, P E T B R I S H A, on Twitter also, and then Pet on Discord. We haven't figured out what we're going to give away yet, um, so we'll, we'll figure that one out. But whilst we do, you know, be patient. We'll find something, I'm sure. And if not, we'll have something great for you next week. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Please leave us a review on Spotify and an Apple. Spotify, uh, Apple podcast review as well a written one preferably uh, follow us on Twitter all that good stuff and let us know what you thought of the show thank you very much everyone for listening and we'll have more floorcast for you next week 